0: KYW original podcasts.
1: When I graduated in June 1942, of course, the war was on and there were ads for help. And uh, boys were leaving school. They were joining the service. And I think other people like myself did the same. I went looking for a job. I knew I had to get a job.
2: From KYW News Radio in Philadelphia. Philadelphia,
1: Philadelphia.
2: This is Scroll Down. I'm Charlotte Reese. Today on the podcast, their side of the story. The women of the greatest generation who worked on the home front during World War II.
1: I think we should know what women did at that time. Really, the women contributed a great deal. I, I just don't think it was ever advertised as such. But yeah, of course, if we hadn't been there, how would what would have happened? Who would have made that equipment?
0: I had just talked to the uh, school counselor who told me that, well, if you want to get a job, maybe you could get a job as a secretary, but you'll have to take training for that. Or maybe you could be a good saleswoman, and I thought she was out of her ever-loving mind. A sales girl, a secretary, forget about it.
1: I am Rosie the Riveter, although I didn't do riveting. You're a Rosie.
0: You have a job that you would not have had years ago.
3: I made a prediction that I would find 14 women and uh, it's way over 200 now.
2: There's a movement happening to find the Rosies that are still with us and to gather their stories.
0: We're a dying breed. Most of our women are gone the way uh, our men are gone from World War II.
2: These women experienced some of the hardest times in our history.
3: And you think that they tell you about the deep depression, their motivations through the war. Then they tell you about raising their children in a free world.
2: This is about how they are reuniting. In some cases, 70 years later. As simple as it
3: sounds, you know somebody 90 years old, or if you see somebody 90 years old in a restaurant, will you go up to them and say, What did you do in World War II? <laughs>
2: And that's the easiest way. I met three women a few months ago, and they told me about a movement that's happening. Anne Montague, executive
3: director and founder of Thanks Plain and Simple, which has a mission to create projects that need to be done in America, do such a good job that the rest of the country will join in. And what that means is joining together and pulling
2: together. Anne came all the way up from West Virginia to tell me about the American Rosie movement. It's this incredibly difficult project spanning the entire country to find the Rosies. A
3: lot of people think that the research shows that it started with the famous iconic poster with a woman with her arm in the air or the one by Rockwell. But it didn't. We've researched that. A good 70% of the women were not riveters. Uh, there were a lot of riveters. But that whole thing got started from a song in 1943 called Rosie the Riveter. You see it's a misnomer. So many of the women think that they don't fit because they were not riveters. And it happens constantly. So this is why we are not calling it the American Rosie the Riveter movement. We're just calling it the American Rosie movement.
2: The other two women I met? are real-life Rosies, who worked in Philadelphia during the war. Um, So, June, I just have to ask you, anything that we talk about today is okay to use for the podcast? Anything you ask me is okay. Okay. You want me to write it down? June came to visit me at the KYW studio, and Rose, I went to her. She amazingly still wanted to chat, even though she was in a rehab center at the time.
1: The nurse asked me, what's going on with, you know, You're you're meeting these people and blah, blah, blah. So I explained to him what
2: Rosie the Riveter was. I had to explain to him, well, he was so young. Well, you're all young. Sharing their stories is that important. So most of this is just that. Remarkable women sharing their stories. It's about the jobs they set out to find while the country was at war. It's about the working conditions they faced and the relationships they made.
3: This is a good news story, and this is a good news story not only because we are tying history to the future, but at this time in America, we really need to pull together because the more you know the women, the more you realize that you're touching a piece of not only history but the future. You're touching really the human condition. June is a Jewish woman with... A lot of political savvy and all that. And Rose, you will see a softer, almost shy woman who have very, very different stories.
1: Well, my name is Rose Basmajian Shalengian. I'm 94 years old, moved to uh, Philadelphia, in, uh, I think it was 1935. My name is June Robbins. I really don't
0: know how in the world I got to be 92. I'll be 93 in September. No, no, I'm rushing things. I better not do that.
1: When we moved here during the Depression, my mother had relatives in Philadelphia, and they told my father that he should move to Philadelphia. Jobs were more available you would be better off, and that's how we ended up. We ended up in Southwest Philadelphia. My parents
0: were getting a divorce. Mom and I had to move in together. We moved to South Philadelphia and slept on twin beds in back of my aunt's beauty salon. I still went to Alney High School. I took public transportation, of course.
1: Well, I had to find a job or go to college, so it was more interesting. Plus, my mother had passed away when I was young, my father was not financially really ready to send me to college. He would have.
2: That's where we Rose wanted to be a, to a teacher, but instead got know, a job at Westinghouse, the working sure, the surface but... grinder.
1: I mean, nobody could ever imagine working in a factory. The door is open. It's windy. It's hot. We had to take salt tablets because it, we had no air conditioning there. It was a factory. Dusty. Noisy. That's probably why I'm wearing a hearing aid now. But. So I conned my teacher.
0: And my June,
2: teacher. well, she found a way to get a job. When you say conned, what?
0: Convinced.
2: So were you <laughs> of age then to?
0: No. I was just a very good uh, convincer, a good talker.
2: Well, I
0: explained to him, Mr. Hall, an all-boys drafting class, that I really needed To learn how to do mechanical drawing. This way I could help in the war effort and maybe mom and I could find an apartment together because I'd be earning some money. When I did get my job at the Navy Yard, which really surprised me, the particular shop that I was in had 10 women and quite a few men.
3: Part of our interview questions is, did people in the factories get along? Oh, yeah. We've never heard of a fight, not one argument, not one piece of gossip. You'd think you would, but we don't hear that.
0: We pulled together because it was important. We're not working together. We're not pulling together now. During that period of time, my boyfriend had been writing to me from the different uh, naval bases that he worked. One of the women came over to me and showed me an article in the newspaper that a plane had crashed on his base. And I thought, oh, my God. Maybe that's why I hadn't heard from him. These wonderful women, Catholic, Protestant, and you name it, took this Jewish girl with them to a church, and we lit candles. I'm still so touched when I think about it that they thought enough of me to take me and pray for the safety of my boyfriend.
1: He was fine. We were kind of like a little society, yeah? And the ladies' room had a big... A place to go sit, have your coffee. We didn't smoke, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Kidded around too about the guys, you know, what, this guy or that boss or that whatever. In fact, my friends didn't know what friends that I had because I was working such long hours. What I was doing, I had never said because they were all secretaries, that kind of work. Uh, we had such a different life. And how did the men treat me?
0: Well, I was a kid. Two of the young men took pity on me, and they protected me from all the other men.
2: A kid meaning how old were you?
0: 17. They did try to play some tricks on me. Like uh, one time they put um, a frog in my work drawer. But I don't respond to things like that. I opened up the drawer, took out my work tools, and shut the drawer The next time they put two rubber boobs in the drawer, they thought that would get me, and no, it did not. I just opened the drawer, took out my work things, shut the drawer, and you could hear them go, (laughs) ah, nothing, absolutely
1: nothing. But some of the names that they would give these tools, I don't know if there was such a tool, but they laughed at us because Well, we didn't know. I mean, what do you know when you were 18 years old? We would go to the tool crib and ask for this tool. And they would laugh at us. They got a kick out of it, really. And I didn't know what it meant. So I went to the tool crib and I asked for that tool and I had to write it down. I didn't even know how to spell it. But anyway...
0: I had one incident where I really had to defend myself. I was uh, a junior USO hostess while I was working at the Navy Yard. One time... uh, two sailors accompanied me back to where the apartment the mother and I shared, but I started earning a living. And one stood guard, and the other one tried to attack me. He pinned my hands up against the wall behind me, and I butted him in the face with my head and then kicked him. And uh, he let go with a howl, and I uh, escaped into the apartment. Next day, when I went out to lunch at the Navy Yard, I saw him walking across the street. He saw me and
1: ran like the devil in the opposite direction. <laughs> I think it all began then. Uh, don't forget, we were all young girls. Most of us were young. I don't. I don't remember any older women working there. And there were some young men in their thirties who were married, who had families. I had several the boss especially would come over and ask me for a date i even remember his name but i'm not going to give it because he uh well he would have been older than i was he was in his early 30s but yeah it started then we had parties and it was very obvious then that those men didn't bring their wives so enough said <laughs>
2: So when you were working in the factories like that did you ever think that your work then was going to mean so much today?
1: Never. Never in a million years. We had a job we had to do it and that was it.
0: I think we were appreciated more because of the work that we did. I don't know whether we insisted on it but we proved ourselves to be strong and working together not only with each other as women but with the men, and they learned to respect us as a result of that. I'm really amazed to be a part of that history. I didn't know I was a Rosie until it was pointed out to me. And then, uh, of course, I had the privilege of being part of the American Rosie movement and met Anne Montague, who started uh, Things Plain and Simple.
1: I think my son saw an article in the Inquirer about June. And he said, do you want to get in touch with them? And I thought, well... And he said, sure, why shouldn't you? Get in touch with... Them. That's how I got to talk to Ann. And that was that.
2: That was it. You said that your mother was really the inspiration behind this. Yeah. Can Tell me about her. And Well,
3: I was born in 39, so I'm 79, and... My mother was a really good mother. My father was in the war. He was quite a bit older than my mother, and I think it what we would now call PTSD. Anyway, they eventually divorced, and we were living with my grandparents, and mother would go to work every day uh, walking, and I would just sit and watch her get dressed up. She was really beautiful, blue eyes and black hair, and just beautiful. And... um, I'd stand on the porch and watch her go. and hated to see her go to work because when she came back, she was always sick, and I couldn't understand why should we go to work and be sick. Well, it turns out that she was inspecting lenses.
2: Anne's mother worked at Poland, Poland, Poland Industries in Huntington, West Virginia. Anne said her mother would get vertigo from looking at the lenses all day. So in other words, a
3: mechanical inspection, but she was at the end of the line. Her eyesight was so perfect that she could hold up the inspected lens and just hold it up and say, there's still a flaw in here. And then she would come home, vomit all night, and my grandmother would put the dinner in the oven It's just turn on the oven and heat up your dinner. And mother would never do that. She'd eat a little bit of it in the morning, and she was very, very thin. And all the interviews I've done in my hometown, probably eight at this point, different factories, really different personalities. I never met one person who worked in my mother's factory, although it was a large factory. And I'm very sorry, because I think that's one of the kind of um, deep-seated need on my part, to know what my mother did, and know somebody that knew her. you know. And it's not, that's not the only reason I did it. It needed to be done. <music> Anyway, she married my stepfather, who was a captain in the Army. And we'd sit on the front porch with all those men who came back from the military. And you heard about the Aleutian Islands and the Philippines and the Guam and all of it. And a lot about Europe. But I would ask Mother, you know, tell me about the factory. I was always fascinated by the factory. And my stepfather would always tell her. You shut up, because nobody wants to hear hear this. It's the men who sacrificed who are important. But what really bothered me most as I started interviewing the women was how often the women told me that they were told never to ask a question or never even to talk to one another.
0: Mother was working on the aircraft side. She did uh, barrier work for the flat tops. When the planes land, the wheels have to be caught by barriers, otherwise they go overboard. By the way, that was a British uh, uh, invention, and not to be talked about. I really didn't know what my mother was
1: doing. Uh, We didn't talk about our work. We never talked about what we did, really. There was a saying, loose loose lips. lips. Sink ships.
3: Shut up.
2: So did you guys, all the women Mm -hmm. that, you know, you kind of befriended in the factories, did you guys understand what exactly you guys were doing at that time?
0: We knew that we were replacing the men temporarily. There was nothing that we couldn't do. We were ordinary women, for the most part, doing
1: extraordinary work. Whatever was asked of us, we did. There were shelves there. We had to go to the shelf, pick up the box, and if there were three or four pieces in there, we took it and worked on it. And all we knew was that it was they were parts for a machine. But what machine or what, we really didn't know. It wasn't really uh, talked about too much but I think if I saw one today, I would even know how to use it because it's so embedded in my mind what to do and what not to do. We did everything. We had thousands
0: upon thousands of women in the tri-state area of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, uh, from sewing uniforms to growing the food that our men uh, ate. Some of our women did uh, sky-watching, to make sure that the uh, foreign planes didn't fly overhead. We had women at the seashore checking the, uh, the ocean. We broke through the glass
1: ceiling.
2: We won the war, men are coming back home. How did the work front change? We
1: were all let go. Uh, nobody mind. I don't think anybody cared. I, I know I didn't care. But now I had to look for a new career. Life is really interesting.
0: But immediately after the war, I found a job at Aero Service Corporation doing aerial map making. Why did they hire me? I could see 3D. And I didn't know that people couldn't see in 3D. And that was the test.
1: I learned typing and all the things that all the other girls did. They worked in the banks. They did secretarial work mostly. So I went to work there at that point. I married, had children, left my job, and life went on.
2: Whatever happened to the boyfriend, too? Got to know. Oh, yes. I have to know.
0: As a matter of fact, the first time he actually uh, met me at age uh, 15 and a half, he announced that he was going to marry me someday, and he proved it. However, uh, immediately uh, after the war, when he was released from the Navy, uh, he brought His letters and asked me to bring my letters, and we went out to Fairbound Park. We had a ceremonial fire. We burned the letters. Now, why would he do that? Why would I do that? He said, We have a future together. This is the past. The present is from now on. It has grown from
3: Being just really feeling fortunate to do a few interviews, to realizing that there is so much depth and so much information in us, so much that America needs now, the pulling together. Once we started saying that, the phrase pulling together, we pulled together then, we can do it again. I kept hearing that.
0: Women are in jobs now. They're unthinkable years ago. I look around, all around me, women. We have come a long way, baby. We're not anti-men. We work with them. We love them. Or do we?
3: <laughs> young people today, not just the women, the young people today are thirsty to see something more authentic about where we came from and where we're going. And when these women start talking about the past, the present, and the future, They see themselves on a continuum.
2: The American Rosie movement wants everyone to get involved.
3: Don't wait for government, you know. Government's definitely important and invited in, but there's no time to wait. This is move on as a civic duty.
0: So we've got a long, long way to go. We have to think about our future and our kids' future and our great great grandchildren's future. American Rosie, the movement, it's supposed to be a four-year plan. I don't know if I've got four years. I want it done
3: now. Phase two is what we're starting out which is to launch the American Rosie movement over the next four years, get people all over the country to look for these women, interview them and do something with them to leave a permanent record. And then phase three will be whatever happens after that. Four years from now, there will be a few Rosies living, but probably not very many. And we'll just see what happens.
0: My eye is on the Philadelphia Navy. There's a building that's visible from uh, I-95. I would like that to be a mural for the Rosies. Not just the Rosies of the past, but the Rosies of the present, and also the servicemen that we backed.
3: One of the things that is most exciting to me that Philadelphia has already done that is showing Philadelphia's interest is that the Philadelphia Girls Choir, performed a song that I wrote 10 years ago. I'm not a musician. The song is, allow us to tell you, it's plain and simple. Rosie, we want to say thanks. From our American spirit, we want you to hear it. In unity, we say thanks. You've got a brave heart served with a good start. And you've got a rivet and Rosie's smile.
1: And I think this is important to bring it out, especially since there were people, like I said, the, the nurse upstairs, the guy, he didn't know, he, you know he, he wanted to hear more from what I had to tell him. Every little
2: bit counts. So as Ann said in the beginning, if you see someone 90 years old at a restaurant, will you go up to them and ask what they did during World War II? For more information about the American Rosie movement, check out thankscleanandsimple.org. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at CReese28. Scroll Down is also on Twitter at Scroll Down Pod. Scroll Down is available wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and review. It helps us out a lot. And I want to say one more thank you to Rose, June, and Anne for letting me, their stories. Until next time, I'm Charlotte Reese.
1: Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter. But every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much.